this will be hard for some of you to believe, but um, years ago, there was a moment in my life where I enjoyed watching the University of Tennessee compete in a game called football. And um, I know that's really hard to imagine, uh, not just over the last two weeks, but over the last 10 years, it's just been abysmal. It's been embarrassing to watch. Just raise your hand if you have the courage. Raise your hand if at some point you've enjoyed watching the University of Tennessee play football. Just raise your hand. Um, for the rest of us, you can boo us if you want. We know it's kind of a, a hated thing, but man, it has been tough to be a fan of Tennessee football. And so I remember years ago when they were still pretty decent and they were competitive, Sydney and I just got married, and they were in this really important game. You know, early on in the season, they always played the University of Florida. It used to be a rivalry because both teams were good and something was on the line. It's not a rivalry anymore, you know, but it was kind of a rivalry. And the University of Tennessee would never win. It's like we almost never beat them. But I remember this one year right after Sydney and I got married, we were like right on the verge, we as I was on the team, we were right on the verge of bringing down the evil empire. And with like a minute to go, you know, just the same old story, we find a way to creatively blow it. And I remember as, as the last second kind of like ticked off the, 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 the game clock, we officially lost the game. Uh, without even thinking about it, I just literally just punched the couch as hard as I could. And I'm pretty jacked, so I hit it hard, you know? I just punched the couch as, as hard as I could. And then I had like one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this, where, where you do something and then all of a sudden you realize that you just did something that let the people around you know what you're really like. And, Sydney was on the other end of the couch and she was doing some work on her computer and it was like I had just tripped in public and I look around to see if anybody had noticed. You know, like I hit the couch and I look over, I'm like, maybe she hasn't seen, maybe she didn't notice. And I look over and she just, without saying a word, just like, just these judgmental burning eyes, just <laughs> closes the laptop, doesn't say a word to me, gets up, go and brushes her teeth, she gets in bed, turns off the lights, doesn't say a word. And you don't have to be a very smart guy to notice that this is a bad moment. Like, you know, uh, we're not in good standing anymore. Our marriage is on the rocks. And so I'm trying to figure out what to do. So I go and I, I get in bed with her and I can tell just the body language is there that like, I, I'm in the doghouse. She's not happy about what she just saw. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna figure this thing out. And it, I thought, okay, I'm gonna have my foot touch her foot, kind of like a peace offering, you know? <laughs> Just, I just gotta feel it out, you know? I gotta see like how angry she is. And this goes one of a few directions, you know? If my foot touches her foot and her foot stays, it's like, okay, maybe we're okay. Like, maybe we're gonna make it. If her foot like initiates some more touching, maybe we're really okay. And, uh, and I'm not as in trouble as I thought I was. Or worst case scenario, her foot just is like ejected, just, you know? And it was that, you know, I got, I got in bed. <laughs> And my foot leaned over and touched her foot. Don't touch me. I don't want to be touched. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm so sorry. That's ridiculous. And she begins giving me this speech, which I really deserved. Like, at no point was she in the wrong. She's like, Dave, um, you do know that you're not on the team, right? I said, yeah, I know I'm not on the team. And she said, you do know that they don't care about you at all. They don't care if you're a fan. They don't care that you watch the game. They don't, they, don't know, they don't know. They don't care about you at all. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And this is the part that hit me. She said, she said, I thought I had married a grown man, but when you watch football, you act like a little boy. And I don't want to be married to a little boy, so maybe we just don't need to watch football anymore. And I was like, oh, like burn. Like, you know, it, it got me. And I go, have, have you ever had like, one of those moments where you discover that you've just stepped into an opportunity for growth. Like one of those moments where your inner you, that, that, that version of you that you've been working to hide for a really long time, 
that version of you that you've managed, that you've pushed aside, that you've ignored, that you've denied, that you've defended because it's your mama that taught you how to live that way, you know, that inner version of you, whatever it is. Have you ever had one of those moments where that inner version of you comes to the surface unexpectedly? You're in traffic and you're worshiping the hill song and somebody cuts you off and all of a sudden you're learning sign language out the windows, right? You're saying things you never said before. Or you lose the job and all of a sudden your sense of security and identity just begins to flare up on the surface or she walks out on you. You lose the guy, you lose the girl. The prognosis comes back in a way that you, you didn't expect it to come back. You lose money when the economy goes up and down and it does something. Have you ever had one of these moments where the inner you all of a sudden was no longer confined to the inside and it came to the surface? And I think there are these moments where a lot of us, without even meaning to, especially in a place like Nashville, Tennessee, we live with this grand illusion a lot of times that our lives are more deeply rooted in Jesus than they actually are. And if somebody were to ask you today, man, what's your relationship with God like? Well, I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning, it's good. It's on fire, I'm pressing in. We say a bunch of words that we don't even know what they mean. You know, it's like, I'm pressing in, I'm, uh, I'm experiencing anointing, you know, grace upon grace, glory upon glory. And, and then you get into a moment in, in the midst of your everyday life and something happens and all of a sudden you go, maybe I'm not as rooted in Jesus as I thought I was. Maybe my character is not as conformed to the person of Christ as I thought it was. Maybe my affection, maybe my emotion, maybe my desires aren't as much like his. And there are these moments when the inner you comes to the surface and you have a, a choice. Are you gonna deny the reality? Are you gonna defend the reality? Or are you gonna invite Jesus in to do something in that place of weakness? Because here's how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God goes like this. Jesus says, and it says all throughout the scriptures, so Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, it's in your place of weakness where the power of Jesus is made what? Oh, come on, I hope you read the Bible. It's in your place of weakness where the power of Jesus is made what? Strong, strong. It's where it's, 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 where it's made most powerful. That these moments when the inner you comes to the surface is not something to, to run from or to hide from or to deny. It's a moment to say, hey, Jesus, would you come all the way in and would you have your way? Would you allow my life to be rooted in you? And this is what we're gonna to explore together this fall. We're gonna just week after week, we're gonna say, hey, Jesus, would you expose to us those places in us that we've been working for decades to hide? Would you expose those places? Would you bring them to the surface? And would you become the transforming Lord of my life? We go, what would it look like if in the midst of the crazy, hurried world that we're in, if you were actually rooted in the person of Jesus. This is what Paul's gonna get at in Colossians chapter two. Look at Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven with me. I love this. He's writing to this, this young church. They'd come to Christ, but they're struggling to grow up into this thing that they had been brought into by the power of Jesus. And I love what Paul's gonna say to them in Colossians chapter two, verse six. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in Jesus, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I love this, this moment, the Apostle Paul, he's gonna pick up on this metaphor that's used all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to talk about a life that is anchored in the person of Jesus. It's this idea of being rooted and 
Remember, he's, he's speaking into a context where they had a deep um, agricultural roots, and this would have been a metaphor that would have spoken right to so many of their hearts. They understood the significance uh, that the roots played in the life of a plant or of a tree. So when you think about what, what roots do, roots provide strength for the plant or for the tree in the middle of the storm, right? So my parents live on the coast. Uh, they're in Charleston, South Carolina. This week, they were up here during the hurricane. They had to get out of Dodge for a couple of days, and they went back and and uh, I said, Dad, how does everything look? And he said, you know, there's some trees and things have been blown down. And it's in, it's in the midst of the storm that you discover the depth of somebody's roots, right? Paul's gonna say it's, it's in those unexpected moments. It's in the things that you didn't see coming that you, you really learn where it is that you find your strength, where it is that you're actually rooted. He says, because roots provide strength, but they don't just provide strength. Roots provide structure. They provide the structure that's needed so that a plant can bear fruit, so that a, tru- a tree can bear fruit. Paul's saying, hey, here's the deal. You're being invited into a place, not just to be saved and to sit in church for the rest of your life. He says, but I'm inviting you to dig your roots down in Jesus so that you're strong enough to survive the storm so that your life is structured in such a way that God can do whatever he wants to do in you and through you. Roots give strength. Roots give structure. Roots become the pathway by which we're sustained. They dig down into the soil and they bring nutrients into every part of the tree. And I love this. Paul is speaking to this young church some of them who are Christians, some of them who have not yet become Christians, and he's, he's writing to them, and he says, hey, here's the invitation of God in your life. He says, he says, God is not just here to get you out of hell through your faith in Jesus. He says, no, he's inviting you for your real life right now to be rooted in the person of Jesus, to be strengthened, to be structured, to be sustained by the resurrected Lord, and everything begins to flow out of that. And gets into the rest of Colossians chapter two, he starts describing what this, rooted life looks like. I just go through this very quickly. I wish we had a lot of time this morning to unpack this, but look at how he describes it, verse seven. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. He says this is what it looks like when, when you're rooted in Jesus, when you're not just going to church and you're not just checking all the boxes, but like when your life is strengthened and sustained and structured in Jesus, said all of a sudden you begin to grow in your faith. You have this growing confidence in an invisible God. And I've just been thinking about this, this picture all week, you know, one of the deepest core beliefs of my life is I believe in this thing called gravity. Raise your hand if you believe in gravity. Raise your hand if you believe in gravity. Like you, you, you can't see it, but you can see the effects of it, right? And some of us believe in it more than others. Like you're on the edge of a mountain and you're hiking and you won't get anywhere near the edge because you believe in gravity with a great fierceness, right? You believe if you get to the edge, it's gonna rip you off the side. Like that internal belief in an invisible force changes the way you actually live. Paul says when your life is rooted in Jesus, all of a sudden, there is this growing confidence in this invisible God that's gonna change the way that you actually live. He says you're strengthened in your faith. You become this fountainhead of gratitude. You're overflowing with gratitude. I love this. Jump down to verse nine. He says, for in, all, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Jesus You have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and over every authority. I'm gonna read that one more time. It says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Jesus, you have been brought to fullness. 
Here's what I know is that almost none of us actually believe that. Almost none of us believe that you've already been invited to share in the fullness of God right here and right now. I love this moment in John chapter 14 and 15, right before Jesus goes to the cross. He's getting ready to be crucified. He looks out at his disciples and he says, the fullness of my peace is the kind of peace that I wanna give you. He says, I don't want you to just have peace when your circumstances of your life are good. He says, I wanna give you peace that will endure every storm. He says, I want the fullness of my peace to be in you. He goes on later in John chapter 15, he says, I want the fullness of my joy to be in you. In John chapter 17, he's talking to the Father, he's praying, he says, Lord, would you make the fullness of the love that we experience between each other, would you make it true in us? Jesus says, here's the deal, I'm not just inviting you to pray a prayer and to get into a tub and to escape the fire of hell one day. He says, I'm inviting you into fullness right here and right now to experience the heavenly life right here and right now. Paul says when you're rooted, when you're actually rooted in the, the living person of Jesus, there's this growing faith, there's this overflowing gratitude, all of a sudden we begin to grow and walk in unbelievable fullness. He keeps going like this, he's describing the rooted life. He says, in him, verse 11, you were also circumcised. We talked about circumcision a few weeks ago. The book of Acts, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go back there now. No slides for you on this one. But in him, you're also circumcised. He's talking about spiritually speaking. He says, you were made holy with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh and it was put off when you were circumcised in Christ. I wanna explain this to you. This, this, is, this is what's true of you in Jesus. He says, in Christ, that old sin, that old way of the flesh that used to bog you down, that used to drag you into the stuff that you don't wanna go into, he says that thing that used to have power over you, he says, in Jesus, it's been cut off. And it doesn't mean that you never have temptation or struggle anymore. It just means that those temptations and those struggles are no longer your slave master. Before you were in Christ, they controlled you. Now, they just tempt you. They've been cut off. And if you keep going back into them, they, you're going back into them out of habit, but not out of force, and there's a difference. He says when you're rooted in Jesus, like when you're sustained in him, when you're strengthened in him, when you're supplied by his goodness, like when you're in Jesus, he says there's this growing faith, there's this gratitude, there's this fullness that you begin to experience. There's this freedom from the things that used to bog you down. There's this place of participation. Look at verse 12. He says, having been buried with him in baptism. It's in baptism that you were also raised with him through your faith, listen to this, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Listen, tonight some of you are gonna be baptized. The rest of us, we're gonna celebrate baptism. And we're not celebrating your good works, we're celebrating God's good work. Baptism is a declaration of what Jesus has done. He said, as you're participating, as you're going down in the water, your life is being rooted in the finished work of Christ. He said, that's what's happening. He says, when you're rooted in Christ, when you're rooted in Christ, there's this growing faith, 
There's this invitation into fullness. There's this overflowing joy. There's this freedom from your past temptations and your old slave masters. There's this participation in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I love, I love the way that it keeps going, verse 13. He says, because when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. Do you realize, hey, you gotta hear this, church, because some of you spent your whole life in the Southeast, and I hear people say this all the time, I've been a Christian my whole life. That's not true. Nobody's been a Christian their whole life. Nobody's been a Christian their whole life. You're born and you were marked by sin. And then at some point, some of you were born again into the kingdom of God and you became a follower of Jesus. There's a big difference. And I love this. He says, when you were dead, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins. I love this. Jesus isn't your life coach. He's not your therapist. He's not here to, to give you some pointers. He is the one that raises dead people to life and all of you, who are followers of Jesus, there was a point where you were spiritually dead and he says, and he raised you to life. I love that. And we're rooted in this reality. Our sense of strength, our sense of confidence, our sense of joy, our sense of peace. It's not in our good works and in our performance and our church attendance and our service. He says, no, we're, we're anchored in who he is. Like our roots go down in Jesus. And so our faith is growing and our gratitude is overflowing and the disposition of Jesus is bubbling up and freedom from sin is beginning to happen in our confidence is beginning to swell. Why? Because the one that we're anchored in specializes in raising dead people to life. And you're beginning to participate in it. I love this. Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Jesus has taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them by the cross. Guys, you've got to hear this. Before we spend a whole semester talking about how to invite Jesus into our places of weakness, how to invite God into the places where we need to grow, before we get to any of that, you've got to understand what it is that we're actually anchored in. Because if you don't, you'll be tempted to believe that your discipline, your hard work, and your effort is what it is that's bringing about the favor of God in your life. I love what Paul says. He says, no, here's the deal. Just as you receive Jesus, you get a partner with him to make sure your life is anchored in the reality of who he is, that that's where you find your strength, that that's where you find your sustenance, that's, that's where you find the structure of who you are. And when that begins to happen, it is gratitude, it is faith, it is fullness, it is forgiveness, it is deliverance, it is victory, it is confidence. He says, and you begin to live a life that is marked by Christ in you. And no longer do people look at you and go, oh, you must be religious. People look at you and they go, you must have been dead. What has happened to you? You're alive. Paul says, I want you to be rooted. He says, I don't want you to be like the people of the world who allow their religious philosophies to live in their head somewhere, but for it to never get down into the context of their life and to change who they actually are. And here's what I was, I was struck by this week as I was thinking about what it means to be rooted. All week long, I kept having moments like I had years ago when Sydney and I were watching the football game, these, these moments all week long where something unexpected would happen, something big, something small, something would happen. And in a moment, I would discover that maybe my roots aren't as deep in Jesus as I wish they were. 
I was reminded this week that it's possible to spend your whole life in church. It's possible to preach every week in churches, which, which is what I do most weeks. It is possible to be in a setting like this almost every week and to still not have your roots go down in Jesus. And so when the storms come, you get blown over. When things spur up in you, you have no joy, no peace, no love, no power. This week I was just asking the Lord, I said, Lord, would you be kind enough to show me where my life is actually rooted? One of the things that he showed me is that a lot of times in seasons where I'm stressed out, where I'm busy, that I have this tendency to plant myself in myself, which sounds crazy, but I try to to dig my roots down in my own self-sufficiency, in my own strength, in my own power. And there's this one evening where I was just laying in bed and I could hardly sleep, but I was just praying. And and, and it's as if the Lord is saying to me, Dave, do you wanna keep doing it this way? Do you wanna keep doing it this way? Do you wanna keep trying to be your own strength? Do you wanna keep trying to be your own sustaining force? You know, for some of you, maybe it's not your self-reliance. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you keep digging your roots down into what you do for a living. And that's the place where you find all of your strength and all of your stability, and it's the reason the moment your job begins to shake, the moment you begin to struggle, your identity falls apart and you struggle to believe that God's even good or there. For some of you, it's not your work, it's your relationships. And you put roots down in every relationship that you go to, whether it's romantic or with friends. And the moment those relationships begin to fail you, all of a sudden you feel vulnerable, you feel exposed, you feel weak, you begin to doubt the Lord. For some of you, it's finances. For some of it's pleasure. Eh, We could just go down the list. I go, but the reality is it is possible to spend your whole life in church and never experience deep roots in Jesus. It's the reason Paul commands them. (laughs) Dig your roots down in Jesus. Because he knows it's possible to, to receive salvation and never experience the fruit and the joy that comes from actually being saved. And so for the rest of the fall, we're gonna, each week, we're just gonna talk about like one kind of big idea. What's it look like to be rooted in Jesus? But there's this undercurrent. There's these two realities that you're gonna see every single week. And you see it right here in Colossians chapter two. And I wanna, I wanna dig into that for just a few minutes this morning because I believe it's the, the base that we're gonna keep building upon. Paul's gonna say, hey, here's the deal. If you want to keep growing more deeply in Jesus, if you wanna grow more deeply, it's gonna require that you embrace both grace and grit. You're going to have to embrace both the grace of God and his invitation for you to to rearrange your life around this grace, that it is a dance in the kingdom of God. And these two things are not opposed. Sometimes we, we, we hear about work, or we hear about discipline, or we hear about things, and we go, whoa, let's, let's get a bit theologically scared. And I go, no, this is the dance that you see all throughout the scriptures, is that every good thing that comes to us in Jesus starts in the place of grace, God's undeserved, unwarranted, unmerited kindness towards you. And so I love what Paul says. Look back at verse six. He says, so then, just as you received Christ, look at this, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, he says, you received him. You didn't earn him. You didn't earn him, you didn't impress him. Do you realize Jesus never one time looked down at you and went, dang, she's amazing, I want her on my team. Her work ethic is phenomenal. 
Jesus never looked down and went, man, his ability to almost keep the 10 commandments is enough for me to pick him on my kickball team. Never happened in the history of the earth. That everything good starts with grace. I think about the story of the Israelites. Remember the Israelites, God frees them out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea and then after he parts the Red Sea, he gives them the 10 commandments. And I think the order of those events is important. Had God given them the 10 commandments before he parted the Red Sea, they would have been tempted to think that the reason he opened the sea was because they kept the rules. That's good, you should tweet that. (laughs) It's good, think about this. God says, I'm gonna call you out of slavery. I'm gonna bring you out, you did nothing to deserve it, I'm gonna bring you out. And then I'm gonna show you how to work it out and how to live it out. It's the way it works, it's grace first, and then it's grit. All throughout this, Paul says, look at what he did. When you were dead in your sins, he raised you to life. When you were a sinner, he forgave you. When you were in bondage, he broke the back of the enemy. He made a spectacle spectacle of him. He says, this is the grace of God. And we've got to understand, if we want to grow deeper in Jesus, it starts with understanding that even the ability to grow in God is an act of grace. It's an act of kindness. But I love it. Paul says, it's not just grace. He says, you get to respond to that grace. And that grace, at times, is gonna feel like white-knuckled discipline. (laughs) It's gonna feel like white-knuckled discipline at times. He's gonna say, just as you received him, he says, now you have to continue to live in him. You have to walk this out. You have to to rearrange your life. I love what he says in verse eight. He says, you have to persist in some things. You have to do some things. And you also have to resist some things. Look at verse eight. He says, see to it that nobody takes you captive to hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. Paul says, here's the deal. God has come to us in grace. He says, hey, I I, I want to save you. I want to change you. I want to come into all the places of weakness. And that desire to change you in your weakest places is an act of grace. He says, but you are going to have to work this out. You are going to have to live this out. You are going to have to persist in some things and resist some things if you want to experience the fullness of being rooted in Jesus. I'm convinced that that as Americans, we have been lulled to sleep by a demonic understanding of grace. We have overcorrected from the legalistic ways of the 50s and 60s And we've begun to believe that the grace of God is a license to be utterly lazy in the kingdom. (laughs) And we go, I'll do whatever I want. I don't need to do anything to experience more God. And I'm just telling you, that's not biblical at all. It's not biblical at all. And Paul says, here's the deal. The grace of God is inviting you deeper, but there's some things that you get to work out. There's some ways that you get to practice this. I think about the way that you see this. We can go through story after story after story. Think about in the life of Noah. The, the, the world is falling apart and God comes to Noah with grace and he says, hey, I'm gonna save you and your family. It's like, wow, that's a gracious moment. And then comes the moment of grit. God's like, I need you to build a boat. It'll take you about 100 years. Noah's like, dang, like, couldn't you have come up with another way? Like, it's like grace and grit colliding in the life of Noah. God brings the grace, but Noah had to partner with God to work that sucker out, right? 
Deuteronomy chapter one, verse eight, God looks at the Israelites and he says, here's the deal. Here's the land that I've given you. It's the promised land. It's yours for the taking. Houses that you didn't build, uh, vineyards that you didn't plant, land flowing with milk and honey. He says, this is yours. I've given it to you. He says, but now you have to go possess it. Here's the gift. You go take it. Wait, I thought it was a gift. It was. It's grace and it requires some what? Grit. Help me out. There's some grace and there's some what? Some grit. It's Philippians chapter two, verse 12. Paul says, you've been saved. God has worked something into you. Salvation is a free gift, but now you get to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You get to work it out. You get to bring it all the way down into the context of your life. The gift of life with Jesus is free, but growing deeper and experiencing the fullness of life with Jesus is gonna require some grit. And Paul said it's it's important that you understand the way that these two things work together. Otherwise, you'll spend your whole life in the shallow end of Christianity. You'll hear sermons that you kind of like. You'll hear things that you kind of believe. And you'll never experience the fullness and the building of your faith and the joy and the power and the freedom that Christ has set on the table for you. And it's the reason it's so easy in America to be in church for 40 years but to be no more like Jesus than you were when you began. Have you ever met somebody who's been in church their whole, whole life and they're still a total jerk? It's like, how's that possible? It's possible because we misunderstand what it is that we're getting invited into. God has saved us from sin. He saved us from ourselves, and he's inviting us to dig our roots down. It's grace and great. I remember when I was in college, uh, I needed a, a couch for my room and I was broke, didn't have much money. And so this, this lady from church, I found out that I needed a couch. And she said, hey, I've got a free couch if you wanna come get it. Free gift, moment of grace, right? She said, but you have to come get it. I said, okay, I'll come get it. So I show up at this house and this couch is like on the third floor of that house. It's like tucked in an attic down a single stairway. I mean, it was like an act of God getting that couch out of the house without destroying the walls. And then once I got it out of the house, I had to put it on top of my Jeep Wrangler illegally, didn't have enough to tie it down. So I'm literally driving my friend and I trying to hold this couch on top of the Jeep and all of this effort. And then we get it to the dorm and we have to take it up the hall and because it doesn't fit in the elevator and get it in the room. And I went, man, it was a free gift. But in order to enjoy the gift, I had to apply some what? Some grit. Free gift. But I had to apply some grit. And listen, guys, there is so much more of God for you. There is so much more of God for you. But you're not going to get from where you are to where you want to be if you keep doing life as you are. Paul says, look at what God's done for you. And now step into it, just as you received it. Man, live into this thing that God is inviting you into. Think about what was happening last night in the prayer room. Does God love those people more that showed up to pray through the night? Of course he doesn't. Did those people probably experience something in God that you didn't when you were sitting at home? Absolutely. I don't say that to like point a finger and make you feel bad. I go, that's just the reality. I go, does God love you more when you get up early in the morning and you get in the word and you pray and you listen? Of course not. But do you experience more of his love when you begin to rearrange your life to get in his presence? Absolutely, absolutely. It's not rocket science. 
It's not rocket science, but it's what Jesus is inviting us into. And anyway, can you imagine, wherever you are in the spiritual spectrum, can you imagine what your life would look like two to three months from now? If you just had the courage to say, okay, God, would you show me where I'm rooted? Would you show me where I'm actually rooted? And would you do whatever you need to do to take me deeper? When you begin to pray that prayer, it's interesting how God will begin to show you the places where you're rooted. It usually won't come in the form of an email from heaven, here's where you're rooted. It'll come in a moment where your inner self comes to the surface. And God says, here's your opportunity. Are you gonna deny it? Are you gonna defend it? Or are you gonna let me do something with that part of your life? So here's what I wanna challenge you to do this week. I wanna give you some homework. Cole, you can put this on the screen. Here, here's my challenge, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Here's my challenge for you. Set aside one hour this week. You can do this. This is not this hard. This is not very hard. We're gonna start small together. Set aside one hour this week Get with the Lord. If you don't have a journal, you can take this rooted prayer journal with you. You can use it. There's places to take notes. Get, get away with the Lord for one hour. Take your Bible, turn off your cell phone and ask Jesus these two questions. Jesus, where's my life actually rooted? And Jesus, where are you inviting me to grow deeper in you? Ask him those questions and then sit there and pay attention to what he says to you. Pay attention to what he puts in your heart. Pay attention to the verses that begin to go through your, minds, uh, through your mind. Pay attention to the things that begin to stir. Jesus, where is my life actually rooted and where are you inviting me to go deeper? I guarantee you, if you will set aside the time and get in the presence of God and ask him with a sincere heart, he will begin to show you this reality. And he will not leave you high and dry. It'll be in the place of grace and grit. And he'll say, come on, there's more for you. There's more for you. So I wanna challenge you. I, I, I wanna challenge you to, to take a step. You know, for some of you, that step tonight is you've never, you've never been buried with Christ in baptism. You've never been raised with him in baptism. Listen, tonight is your night. Come back at five o'clock, bring your friends. We'll be live streaming it so you can show your friends and family that aren't here in town with you. Come back tonight and start your life by being buried and raised with Jesus. For some of you, your next step is, hey, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kinda rearrange my schedule a bit. And tomorrow evening, I'm gonna rearrange my schedule a bit, and I'm gonna try to bring some grit alongside the grace that's already been given to me in Jesus. Join us for the next 21 days of prayer. I'm just telling you, if you will do this, watch what God will do in your life. Watch, watch what he'll do. I'm on a text thread every morning with some of our elders. And I love it. The, the text goes out. Whoever wakes up first in the morning, they'll send the text out, hey, I'm awake. And, and the goal is, hey, we're just trying to help each other get up earlier and earlier and earlier every morning so we can get some time with God. And I'm almost never the first one up. In fact, you know, sometimes like I'm up the latest and so I want to text them at like two in the morning. I'm like, I'm up, guys, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm here. But, but, but they'll get up and I go, man, something happens in the context of community, when we say, hey, let's just go after God hard together. Let's go after God. Not to earn anything, but because in his kindness, he's gonna meet us there. I have no desire, no desire to do shallow surface Christianity. And I know you, I know you don't either. And so let's ask the Lord to root us in this season. I wanna invite you to stand up with me right now.
want to stand up and I just want to pray a prayer over you. I love, I love this prayer. In Ephesians chapter three, I invite you to just close your eyes. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. I love this. It's Paul praying. This is what I'm praying over you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being so that Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. That you'd have power with all of God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, listen to this, so that you would be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Father, would you root us in this season in Jesus? Strengthen us in Jesus. Sustain us in Jesus, God. Root us in the love of Jesus. May we know it. And may everything else in our life flow from it. God, would you show us where we're rooted? Would you show us where we're rooted? And would you invite us into the deeper places by your power and your grace? In the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Amen.